0: Hope you have a lesson sheet. Don't freak out. That back sheet, okay, the back sheet is simply uh, what the Roman Catholic Church teaches from the Council of Trent. You are saying, well, I'm not sure what that is. Well, hopefully we'll get to that. But I just wanted to give that to you so you remember that what we're talking about has real historical significance, but it also has real doctrinal significance significance and it hasn't changed and so we'll just do the first page of those notes but I wanted you to see that well here we are this is our last message our last message in the series after darkness light and we've been looking at especially the life of Martin Luther why because after darkness light sums up the story of not only Martin Luther but of the entire Reformation. And we saw there's two, his life divides like any other Christian into a testimony of before Christ, coming to Christ, and then after Christ. And so we looked at last week, a monk, or two weeks ago, a monk seeking light, the light of salvation at the end of the Dark Ages. And the question that dominated his life was, what must I do to be saved? And we looked at five ways that he tried to answer that question according to the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church of which he was a member. And he went through these process, which was basically, I wanted to do it in a way to where it's basically a ladder of good works as... The, if you would go to the Roman Catholic Church, if you would go to your local priest and say, What must I do to be saved? It would be works. It would be a, a man made religion that is spelled do, D O, versus a God revealed relationship spelled done. And so he did all these things Should I become a monk? Be isolated from the world? Well, monk's not good enough. I can't touch the sacraments. Maybe I should become a priest. Maybe I need to suffer more, be sorry more. Maybe I need to travel and change my location and be around more spiritual people. Ultimately, maybe I need to become a Bible scholar. And it was by becoming a student of the Word of God that Luther began to realize What must I do to be saved? The answer is not found in a man-made religion. It's found in Scripture alone. And so last week, we saw that once the light of the gospel shines into your life. He read Romans chapter 1, verse 17, The just shall live by faith. And he came and was converted. He was born again. And when that happens... When that happens in anyone, not just Luther, but any of us, when you're truly born again, you can't keep that to yourself. You want to share the light of salvation with others. And so he begins, and we went through seven ways that he did it. He nailed the 95 Theses on the door, questioning indulgences. And then after he came to Christ, he published it, his works, uh, pointing to Scripture alone. He stood for it when he was asked to recant by the Roman Catholic Church. His life was then threatened, and he fled to the Wartburg Castle and hid out under a, a false name, Sir George the Knight. He then, in that castle, in a course of 11 months, translated the, the Bible into the German language. Now, there were German translations uh, of the Bible But his was by far the most influential and still shapes uh, modern German language today. He married it. The gospel touches not just the spiritual aspects of our life. It touches every aspect of our life. It touches our marriage. It touches our jobs. It touches our our parenting. It touches it all. And it sings. He sang it. He wrote. uh, We'll see numerous hymns. And then, sadly, at the end of his life, Luther blew it. He wrote some very vicious anti Semitic uh, attacks against the Jews. And sadly, those writings of his were used by the Nazis and Hitler's Germany to, show, to justify the persecution of the Jews, all in the name of Christ. So it's very sad. Our lives, listen, don't compromise. Don't deconstruct, don't apostatize. Who you you are, what you believe, and what you say has impacts for generations. You say, well, I'm no Luther. That's all right. You're impacting people in your circle of influence, and what you say and what you believe has a big, huge significance. Now, despite, and and I, I say that, First of all, because we don't want to do hagiography, which is like holy biography, where you look at these men and see all of their, their positives and none of their warts, right? We want to see them as they really are, because we're not worshiping Luther. We're honoring men and women of God who live for God and make a difference. So the idea is not, you know, if, if you're going to try to worship Luther, you're going to be sorely disappointed because he's a man... "...with sins just like you and I." okay. Despite blowing it in his old age and showing that he was a sinner saved by grace, like every other believer, or as like Luther himself liked to say, he liked to say, at the same time, righteous and a sinner. We have been declared right by the gospel, and yet we still have a sin nature. Luther still ended his life being faithful to the gospel... And the God who saved him by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone, according to Scripture alone. So on January 23rd, 1546, Martin Luther traveled to Eisleben, Is- his hometown, to mediate in a family dispute. However, he was 62 years old, and he had been racked by all kinds of ailments and diseases. He was weary from living. It was a hard time to live, and he fell ill, and he knew that the end of his life was at hand, and so he wrote out his last will and testament, and here's how he began his last will and testament. I am well known in heaven, on earth. And in hell. I am well known in heaven. I've been saved by grace. On earth, I've made a difference. And in hell, I have lived so that God's enemy has been my enemy. Isn't that good? I mean, that'd be great for all of us to be able to say at the end of our lives. I'm known in heaven. I've been known on earth of making much of him. And the devil knows who I am. On his deathbed, Luther was asked, Are you ready to die trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and to confess the doctrine you have taught in his name? This was a big thing through many centuries. The Christian people would ask on deathbeds, Are you holding firm to that which you have professed and believed and lived all up to your life? And Luther said yes before taking his final breath. The last words that he ever wrote were found on a scrap of paper near the bed on which he dies, and it ended with these words, We are beggars. This is true. So like the last thing that he writes is, We are beggars. This is true. In other words, this man who made such an impact on his generation, and I think he knew on generations to come, knew it was nothing in him, it was totally of God. We are beggars. According to Baptist historian Timothy George, Luther's whole approach to the Christian life is summed up in these last words. The posture of the human in relation to God is one of utter receptivity. We have no legs of our own on which to stand. No mystical ground of the soul can serve as a basis of our union with the divine. We can earn no merits that will purchase for us a standing for God. We are beggars, needy, vulnerable, totally bereft of resources with which to save ourselves. For Luther, the good news of the gospel was that in Jesus Christ... God had become a beggar too in the incarnation. God identified with us in our neediness. Like the good Samaritan who, was ex- who exposed himself to the dangers of the road to attend to the dying man in the ditch, God came where we were. God has come. We're entering into the time of Advent next week. And that's the glory of the incarnation, that God, who owns a cattle on a thousand years, has become a beggar like us and lived a sinless life on our behalf. His wife, Katerina, wrote, For who would not be sad and afflicted at the loss of such a precious man as my dear Lord was? He did great things, not just for a city or a single land, but for the whole world, and indeed he did. Luther is buried appropriately in the castle church of of Wittenberg. This was the very church where 29 years earlier he had nailed his 95 theses. And if you go to that church, I haven't had this opportunity, I would love to. If you go to this church today, he is buried under the pulpit in which he had preached for so many years. And that is fitting for the final resting place of Martin Luther, for Luther and the Reformers ultimately preached it. What do you do with the gospel? It needs to be preached. So there's the seven things he did, but ultimately Luther and the Reformers preached it. Above all, above all, the Reformation was the result of preaching the gospel as laid out in the five solas of the Reformation, and that's what we're going to look at today. Here, uh, this historian says, the Protestant Reformation would not have been possible without the sermon, without the sermon. And so let's take a look at two things, but get into, to get into this lesson, I want us to look at, first of all, the primacy of preaching, the primacy of preaching. The biggest influence of the Reformation was Luther and the Reformers preaching to the common man with a common Bible. I've said it over and over, and I hope it's sticking in your mind. The most dangerous threat in all of history is a common man or a common woman with a common Bible committed to an uncommon purpose, and that's the Great Commission, to get the light of the gospel into the darkness of our world. And so Luther had a high view of the role of music though in the church. So it wasn't just preach preach preach, it was also sing sing sing. Here's what Luther says. Well, here's one of the uh 120th century composers summed it up, summed up Luther's view of church music as proclamation and ministry. So he summed up his view of music as proclamation and ministry. And Luther himself often wrote about music and once said regarding music, and I quote, We can mention only one point, which experience confirms, namely, that next to the Word of God, music deserves the highest place. So he put the the singing of hymns, songs, and spiritual songs right up there, second only to, to the preaching because he saw in true uh, Bible-based praise music that you are preaching the gospel. Yet, even though he wrote 36 hymns, so he he wrote his own 36 hymns, The Greatest Mighty Fortress is Our God, and even though he was a Bible professor that would teach students, he preached about 4,000 sermons in his lifetime, half of which... Have still survived, so you can read like over two thousand sermons by Luther. One time he even preached eighteen times in eleven days. So whether it was Luther, whether it was Calvin, whether it was Zwingli, it doesn't matter who the reformer was. They were preaching machines, and they were constantly preaching. And what they pro what they preached was expository expository sermons of the books of the bible both old and new testament often verse by verse but certainly going through books and preaching it taking their education taking their scholarship taking as we will see their knowledge of the original languages and preaching it to the common people with a bible in their language you want to have impact get into your bible share your bible Here's some quotes, I have them in your notes. When preacher speaks, Luther said, God speaks. Now, why is he saying that? Because uh, uh, preachers are little uh, idols and little popes? No, he goes on to say, So the pastor must be sure that God speaks through his mouth. Otherwise, it's time for him to be quiet. (laughs) When the preacher speaks, God speaks because the preacher is preaching the Bible. And if you're not preaching the Bible, then it's time to sit down. All right. Then he also said this the ministry of the New Testament is not engraved on dead tablets of stone. Rather, it sounds in a living voice. Through a living, through a living word, God accomplishes and fulfills his gospel. Listen. The preached word is a priority in our church for a reason because it's been a priority in the, gospel, in, in the Bible itself and down through church history. Here's how one uh, church historian puts it. Without the Bible, there could be no preaching and therefore no evangelical life. One church historian has called the Wittenberg Reformation a reformation of preaching. Luther's definition of being Christian inevitably led to the transformation of the framework in which the sermon again became the center of the liturgy, the center of the worship service. Congregational life continued to find a certain center in the church building, but that sacred space no longer served as a ladder to heaven, but rather as the, quote, mouth house. So think about what he's saying. He's saying the Reformation changed preaching and therefore changed the worship service so that when the church gathered to worship, it was no longer trying to scale a ladder to heaven or those holy steps that we talked about at the Vatican. Instead, it became a mouth house where the word of God is proclaimed and spoken that's just amazing but what did the reformers preach okay i said they did expository preaching typically moving through books of the bible but what much of what they preached can be summarized in what we would call tweetable statements okay you know today uh, our generation technology you hear something oh I'm going to tweet that. That's tweetable. Well, let's look at the significance of the slogans of the Reformation. These were like tweetable statements that summarized much of their preaching. They were slogans associated with the Reformation. So let's look at some of these. And and you can still see these today. They're in memes. They're on t-shirts. They're on mugs, as only American Christianity would do. Take the doctrines of the church and merchandise it. That's okay, but as long as we're living it. Let's look at the first one. Back to the sources was one of these statements. Back to the sources. And because they always wrote in Latin, you know, all of these have Latin pronunciations. Literally, back to the sources was Latin for back to the founts. Back to that spring from which things came. The idea of this slogan was to go back to the original sources of historical documents. Now, since the religion of the Roman Catholic Church dominated the culture of that day, one of the original sources they began to study was the Bible in Hebrew and Greek. And therefore, by going back to the original sources, because at that time, basically the the only access you had was the Latin Vulgate Bible. You had this translation... And we all know that not every, you know, no translation is perfect, right? So you were subject to this one Latin Bible, which one, if you were a common man, you didn't speak Latin. Two, uh, you didn't have access to anyway. And so by going back to the original Greek and the original Hebrew, it really unleashed and revealed what God was truly saying. And much of this was due to a man by the name of Erasmus, who was one of the most famous Renaissance thinkers known as a humanist. And uh, I won't get into all the historical background of that and whether Erasmus was saved or not. The point was, he was one of these guys that wanted to go back to the original sources. And so he created the first Greek New Testament from handwritten copies available to him. And with the publication of a Greek New Testament meant that pastors and scholars and anybody that had access to Greek could now study God's inspired word in the original languages. And this is really what enabled the Reformation to take place. This is one reason because it was his Greek New Testament then that became the basis of so many of these translations into the common language. And so, the saying has been said, Erasmus laid the egg that Luther hatched. So, with Erasmus' Greek New Testament, it unleashed what Luther would then use to translate the New Testament. Back to the sources of the original language of the Bible is the cornerstone to what we're going to see today, sola scriptura. Back, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Now, one of my favorite Reformation slogans is the one I chose for this series, and it's the second one, After Darkness, Light. Because what happens? When you go back to the Bible, then the light is spread. And so these are uh, many uh, uh, images that are associated with that, the darkness and the death. Of not having the Bible, of not having the gospel, to the light that brings you into life and salvation. Um, and this is why the Dark Ages were dark, okay? It's not because there weren't smart people back then, it's not because there wasn't still cultural things going on. The Dark Ages, in terms of the gospel, were truly dark until the light of the gospel now this leads then to a new uh, it's not a new one it's new to me and this is the third saying it's there in your notes the word of the lord endures forever the word of the lord again once you realize what the power of the word of god then you realize oh the word of the lord endures forever there's the latin and you see the if you uh just do the first initials, V-D-M-A. This became the motto of the Luther Lutheran Reformation. And it was based on 1 Peter 1, 24 through 25, which was quoting Isaiah 40, the word of the Lord endures forever. It, you know, the flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And you can find these V-D-M-A in this saying uh, all over the place. But you know where most significantly this motto was on the first the title page of Luther's translation of the Bible. The word of the Lord endures forever. In fact, it was so common, you could find it on they, they have found it on coins. They have found it over doorways into houses and shops. They have found it on clock faces. This is on a clock face. And they have found it even on the helmet of a war horse. You know, I don't, you know, let's, you know, because church and state. We're mixed up back then, and so if we're going to go into battle, let's go in battle for the word of the Lord. What's interesting, if you've, you guys that have been to Romania with us, this clock face is on a clock tower in Brasov, city that we would often drive through. And uh, anyway, it's, it's amazing. I didn't realize that Brasov, this city, this church... A hometown Romanian from this city, Brasov, spread the Reformation to all of Transylvania from that city. And so there it is. What what a great reminder that every time you look to see what time it is, you're reminded the word of the Lord endures forever. Well, we've already mentioned the next saying, and it is this, at the same time, righteous and a sinner. And this is just a great motto and it reminds us that we are declared righteous by God, and it will change our lives, but it will never change our lives this side of heaven to where we are endless. Listen, if you can get this in your mind, which is biblical truth, you can see it in Romans 6 through 8, it will help you to understand when church people disappoint you. It will help you understand when pastors fall. It will help you understand... The struggles in your own family with sin. Most of all, it will help you with your own heart. That when you profess Christ, you are declared righteous. You receive the Holy Spirit. But yet, at the same time, you have a battle with sin. Okay? And so, the danger is when you just think, I'm still a sinner, I'm still a sinner. You get defeated in your Christian life. The other danger is, well, I'm right with God. I can live any way I want. No, At the same time, righteous and a sinner. Aren't these great? These are great mottos, okay? Now, the most famous, perhaps, though, is the last one, and we want to spend the rest of our time on it. The best way to summarize what the Reformers preached is by the five sola slogans. And they all begin with sola, which means in Latin, alone, alone. So sola scriptura, scripture alone. Uh, sola fide, Latin, faith alone, solus Christus, Christ alone, sola gratia, grace alone, and then soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. So let's take a look at this. What's this Latin word alone mean? What does alone mean? Let me give you two truths. First truth is this. It means plus nothing. Alone. It means plus nothing. Whatever is attached, whatever this word is attached to, is sufficient and supreme in what it does. So let's stop and think about this. Scripture plus nothing is sufficient and supreme as our final authority. Faith plus nothing is sufficient and supreme as the way we receive what God has done for us in Christ. Christ, plus nothing, is sufficient and supreme as our one and only mediator to God. Grace, plus nothing, is sufficient and supreme as the means by which God freely chooses to save us in Christ. God's glory plus nothing is sufficient and supreme as the ultimate goal of our salvation and all that God does in saving us. So it means plus nothing. But I must quickly add, number two, it doesn't mean other things are not useful. It doesn't mean that other things are not useful. In other words, let's think about this. It means that no matter whatever else may help us in our Christian lives, and there's tons of things, whatever those things are must be submitted to and cannot replace what is alone, sufficient, and supreme. So we have other helps. You know, we read other books besides the Bible, but what we read must be submitted to the Bible and cannot begin to replace the Bible. And, hey, that happens uh, uh, quicker than what you think. Before long, you're reading devotionals written by celebrity Christians instead of reading the Bible. Okay? And pretty soon, you're reading blogs and theology books written by men or women and not reading the Bible. And so it's a both and, but one is supreme. Faith alone doesn't mean good works have nothing to do with our salvation. What it means, though, those works come out of faith and are not added to our faith in order to save us. Another Reformation slogan I could have used was, we are saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. Okay, so faith alone doesn't mean, hey, I can live in sin. It's okay. No, it means... Faith alone saves you and saving faith is never alone. It produces good works. Won't be perfect, but they'll be there. Christ alone doesn't mean we don't need pastors, teachers, local church. It's very common today for professing Christians say, I just need Jesus. You know, the church has let me down. Well, guess what? We're still righteous and sinners. The church will let you down. People will let you down. Spiritual... Uh, Disciple builders will let you down. Pastors will let you down. But the reality is this. We need them, godly ones, and yet Christ alone is the ultimate mediator. As one uh, uh, scholar put it, we need a mediator between us and God, but we don't need a mediator between us and Christ. Okay, that's a good one. We need a mediator between us and God, and that is Christ Jesus, the God-man. But we don't need a mediator. I don't need a priest. I don't need a pastor. I don't need a theologian to, in order to approach God. But when I do approach God, I do it with his people. Now, we could go on through here. Grace alone doesn't mean we don't have any responsibility in our Christian life. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 really shows that. Philippians two twelve through 13. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation. That's our responsibility. But do it with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. In other words, grace enables us to respond. And then finally, God's glory alone doesn't mean we won't be rewarded for our Christian life. That's very clear in Scripture. But what do the 24 elders do in Revelation with their crowns? They lay them at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and his Father at his throne. And so we could go on with that. Now, do you got an idea? What does a loan mean? It means plus money, nothing? It, yeah, plus money. It doesn't mean other things are not useful. So here's what I want to do with the remainder of our time. How do the solas shine light into our darkness? How do these five truths shine light into our darkness? And let's look at this. The first thing I want you to see is that the solas provide gospel answers to life's greatest questions. The solas provide gospel answers to life's greatest questions. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at five, the five, I think, greatest questions in all of life, and we're going to see how the soul is answering. So let's take a look at, first of all, who or what is the standard of truth and the final authority in what God requires of us? What is the standard of truth? What is the final authority? of what God requires. And you know what the gospel answers? Sola scriptura. Scripture alone. And probably the best passage for that is 2 Timothy 3:14 through 17. So turn your Bibles, 2 Timothy 3:14 through 17. The Bible is the sole and final authority for all matters of faith and practice. Scripture and Scripture alone is the standard by which all teachings and traditions must be measured. Remember what Martin Luther said when he took his stand at the Diet of Worms? He said, here I stand, I can do no other. If you can show me by Scripture that I am wrong, then I will recant. But if you can't show me by Scripture, then I'm going to hold true to what Scripture teaches. Look at 2 Timothy three fourteen through 17. Paul is speaking to Timothy, and this is his last letter, and is his, his swan song to his disciple. And he says this, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. It's not, listen, it is crucial that when you learn doctrine in the Bible, you learn it from people who live it and love it. He says, remember from whom you have learned it. And that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ He basically uses almost all five solas right there in just that one statement. Once you get these solas in your head, you will see them all over Scripture, even in a single verse. And notice, when we say Scripture is the final authority, we're talking about what it teaches about salvation. If you go to the Bible as though it's a book of science or a book of... Uh, art or you know try to answer uh, f- try to find all the wisdom that exists in the world in the bible you're not going to find it it's written for a specific purpose and it's to show us what god requires of fallen people that they may become his children so notice verse 16 all scripture is inspired by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for some good works. No, for every good work. Why? Because the scriptures are utterly, totally sufficient and supreme. In fact, it's only by the scriptures that we know what the five solas are. Okay, You don't look into the stars and see five solas spelled out. You don't look at the clouds and say, I think God is writing the five solas. You can't go into the woods or go up to the Rocky Mountains and see God's creation and learn the five solas. No, you learn them according to scripture alone. And so there's two passages I want to give you that we're going to work through a little bit for the rest of these. And that is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. In Romans 3, 19 through 28, if you said, Chris, where can I really find the five solas summed up? It's these two passages. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and Romans 3, 19 through 28. And if we had time, and maybe this is your, your homework for the week over the holiday, is just read these passages. And have the five solas from your notes. And go through these five passages and say, oh, there it is, Christ alone. Oh, there it is, faith alone. Oh, there it is, to God's glory alone. Oh, and all I see is by Scripture alone. And so I, that would be, a, I'm telling you, you'll, it'll bless your socks off. Or maybe back on, I don't know. Number two, greatest, the second greatest question is this. What must I do to be saved? Stay saved and be sure of my salvation. And the gospel answers, faith alone. Sola fide. We are just by, justified by faith in Christ alone, not by works of law. You say, where is that? Well, Ephesians two eight nine 9, and 10. There's probably no better explanation of faith alone Then Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. So turn there with me in your Bibles. Turn with me in your Bibles. And I want you to see it right there. I want you to see it. Notice what it says. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10. I've already said Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 has all these solas. Let's look at this one, faith alone. For by grace you have been saved, how? Through faith. And that not of yourselves. There's the faith alone. Okay? It's not believe in Jesus and try harder. Right? It is the gift of God. Not the result of works. Faith alone. Not faith plus works like Roman Catholicism. So that no one may boast. And I got to sneak it in there. There's to God's glory alone. You see it? It's just every, you can't read, especially Paul, but any of the New Testament. You can't read the New Testament letters and you can't escape the five solas. And he says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Oh, which God prepared beforehand, so we should walk in them. So notice, it's faith alone, but that doesn't mean good works aren't useful, but they come from God's grace, and God does them in and through us. I could take you to Romans 3, the passage, and show you faith alone. Here's the third question. Who do we need to go to and through in order to be saved by God? Buddha? Muhammad, The prophet Muhammad, The Roman Catholic Church? The Mormon Church? The Baptist Church? Who do we need to go through? Go to and through in order to be saved. And the gospel answers, Christ alone. Christ alone. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. No one and nothing else can save. Jesus said himself in John 14, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me through Christ. Me, In fact, 1 Timothy 2, 5-7 through 7, puts it this way. There's one God and there's one mediator also between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. And then Paul says this. For this I was appointed a preacher and apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Faith alone and truth, Scripture alone. They're all there. They're all there. Now, we don't have time to go through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. But if you'd read those verses, six times Christ is referenced as the soul means of of being saved and access to God. I mean, like six times, together with Christ, with him, with him, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Or you get pretty clear, isn't it? And Paul didn't think, listen, Paul didn't think that saying it once was good enough. I mean, right in those verses, he says it six times, because he knows our thick heads And our hard hearts. And we like to add. We like to add. To those things. Romans 3. 21 through 28. The other passage. Four times he says. In Jesus Christ. Which is in Christ Jesus. In his blood. In Jesus. Question number four. Am I good enough to help God in saving me? Boy that's a good question. Am I good enough. To help God in saving me. And you know how most people would... How would most... You tell me. How would most people answer that question? Huh? I'll try my best. I hope so. Hey, listen. This is not just 2,000 years ago in the New Testament. This isn't just 504 years ago in the Reformation. This is today and tomorrow in the workplace. Am I good enough to help God in saving me? And the gospel answers, grace alone. Grace alone. Think about Romans 3 that comes before this key passage in Romans. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. Well, yeah, are there... No, not even one. There is none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. Listen, if you were like me when I was 17, I was seeking for God. It was because God graciously was enabling me to do that. It's because God was at work in and through me. I didn't even understand what was going on. I knew I did something at 17. I didn't know what. And I knew I was attracted... To Christians who were living for Christ and were shining the light in their darkness, there wasn't a lot of those in my life. But the ones that I saw, I was drawn to them like a like a like a bug to the light. Okay, I don't know how I got on that, but. They've all turned aside. Together they've become useless. There's none who does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of la- asps, killer snakes, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their path, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Hey, that is us. And that is, uh, you know, I think of beautiful Knox and Caitlin. That's them. That's them. Right now. I know Grandma's, I'm I'm getting the eyes from Grandma. But Grandma knows the gospel, and it's true. And listen, that ought to impact how you parent. Because it's easy now. You're like, are you kidding me? Yeah, this is the easy part. This is the easy part. And as they figure out and start acting out their their depravity, listen, we need grace alone, and read ephesians two one through one through um, one through three to know how much we need grace, but then ephesians two four says, "But God, but God, but God <laughs> intervenes." And makes us alive together with Christ Jesus. But God. Listen, you need a but God moment in your life. You may not know the date. You may not know the time. You may not know like a, 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 like a slight switch went on. But there's got to be a but God moment where you pass from darkness to light. That's the gospel. And it's by grace alone. Here's the last question. Why am I here, and who deserves the credit for all of this? Why am I here, and who deserves the credit? Well, let me say this. If you answer the first four questions according to the gospel, what's the only answer? God alone. God alone gets the glory. And you know what's really cool in Ephesians 2 and Romans 3? both times in both passages paul says this in ephesians 2 he says for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it's the gift of god not as a result of works so that no one may boast no one may glory and then in ephesians 3, or i'm sorry in romans 3:27 through 28 after expounding the five solas he says this Where then is boasting? It is excluded. It is excluded. God alone gets the glory. And that's what we should be living for. So, let me end with this. The soulless shine the gospel light on every dark heart in every dark age. As we wrap up, this series of four weeks for the celebration. I want you to not, don't be mistaken in thinking that this was only back then in the 1500s. We all have dark hearts. We're born depraved sinners. And we all live in a dark age. But let me show you, let me show you, and just you can fill in... here's what I want you to see is that the Reformation is not over for two major reasons. The attempt by the Roman Catholic Church to counter the Reformation has not changed since the Council of Trent. So the Council of Trent was the counter-Catholic Reformation. And and, and they, they took 18 years to develop their doctrine, their counter-reformation. But here's what I want you to understand. Catholic Church hasn't changed its doctrine at all ever since then. You say, yeah, it wasn't Pope John did a Vatican thing? Yeah, Vatican II. And you know what he said at Vatican II? What was, still is. What was, still is. So on those two pages in your notes I've given you, Here's the Roman Catholic teaching that counters the five solas. Now, please understand, the average Roman Catholic does not know the Council of Trent. The average Roman Catholic would say, our church doesn't teach that, but you would have to say, no, the Council of Trent is the official doctrine, and even Pope John said, what was, still is. And so that's why he gave you those two pages. Because I, I wasn't raised Roman Catholic. I, haven't, I didn't have a lot of exposure. But when you read through this, you're like, whoa, this is anti-gospel. This is anti-Christ. This will send people to hell. And then number two, every person in every age still needs the gospel light of the five solas. Okay? And I'll let you figure out the rest of that. I just want you to see that we still in an age where people say Scripture plus church tradition. We still live in an age where people say faith, but try harder. We still live in an age where people say, yeah, it's by grace, but you've got to do your part too. And we certainly, actually increasingly people aren't even saying believe in Jesus. But people that do say believe in Jesus say, yeah, believe in him plus. We still live in that age. And let's be honest. We'll end with this. Let's be honest. We like to give God the glory as long as we still get the credit. Okay? Let's glorify God. But I still want some credit. Okay? It's easy. To think and live that way. So I hope these four weeks have really encouraged you to maybe read some more. You know, study church history and dig in. But most of all, I hope it shows and gives you, as we go into Thanksgiving week, a greater gratitude for the gospel and a greater desire to glorify God. Not just here at church, but in everyday life. In, every, in everything we do and say. Because it's all. It's all. By faith alone. Through Christ alone. By grace alone. To the glory of God alone. According to the scriptures alone. Let's pray. Father we just say thank you. There's a lot we can be thankful of. Living in this country. And there's a lot that has been difficult in the past two years, but at the end of the day, the five solas of the gospel ring true. The truth of who Jesus is and how you save us and by your spirit, it all is true. And Lord, the light has shown in my heart and I am grateful for it. I pray and I'm thankful for each person here in whom the light of the gospel has shown forth the glory of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. As we celebrate this week, let's not just think about food. Help us not, Lord, to just think about football, family, and just feasting, but also, Lord, spend some time, spend some time singing, reading, and praising you for salvation by grace through faith alone. Amen christ alone we pray these things in jesus name amen amen hey y'all have a happy thanksgiving